Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to the finale discussion of Ahsoka, where we're going over part seven and part eight. We've made it to the end of the Ahsoka series, season one, right? Season one. Season one. Yeah. There's going to be a season two. Okay. There has to be a follow up. There's got to be. There has to be a follow up. I can't believe we're at the end. And unfortunately, we are recording this during the strike. The writers have gotten their deal, but SAG has not gotten a deal yet. So we're still recording these in the void. And eventually, (laughs) hopefully, when you're listening to this, the actors will hopefully have gotten a fair deal just as the writers did, which is like fantastic. So really hopeful for that. But we we finished the series and I can't even tell you how much I enjoyed this ride of watching Ahsoka. For me, I, I th- okay, here's the thing. Okay. <laughs> What's the thing? <laughs> the thing is, I think Andor is the best Star Wars series that has come out just based off of writing and production. But Ahsoka is the series I've enjoyed the most, if I'm being completely Mm. honest. And I feel like in a lot of ways, we are the fans that this show was made for. And I feel very um, serviced as a fan, you know? (laughs) And I really enjoyed week to week uh, talking about it on the podcast, watching it, engaging with it. I don't know. I just loved it. Yeah, I I don't know if I can rank them quite yet it's too soon it's, it's too, soon. too soon i i i said that out the gate and i knew that i was bringing <laughs> something into up. our podcast that we, don't we usually like don't rank. do we don't like i to know rank. but i just i i had to express how much i enjoyed the show yeah and i if, the, i'll say this in in the ranking conversation i think that kevin kinder's music rivals the mandalorian's music because up until ahsoka i would have said that the mandalorian has the best theme and like mm-hmm. music for the most part. I think the Mandalorian theme is like iconic. It was iconic instantly. Instantly. You, iconic, instantly. Yeah. yeah. But I think that Kevin Kiner's work throughout Ahsoka rivals uh, the Mandalorian's music. That's what I'll say as far as ranking goes. <laughs> but uh, the actual shows... I don't know if I can rank them yet. It's just all of them are so crazy in and of themselves that they exist and that these stories exist and that we get to have something so gritty like Andor and then have something literally so otherworldly as the Ahsoka show. And then even to have something like Obi-Wan, which is like somewhere in the middle, I would say, as far as the otherworldly to the gritty scale of Andor and Ahsoka. And then Book of Boba Fett like lives next to the Mandalorian and like they've got their own thing going on. And I don't know. It's just, you know, it's a good time to be a Star Wars fan. The best time to be a Star Wars fan. And someone on Twitter reminded me that we have the last season of Bad Batch to look forward to very soon as well. Oh, my God. Yeah. I forgot about that. I know. I know. Me too. Um, Which I got to say, so funny, so funny, sad. On the Star Wars TikTok, I saw them do an edit. I don't know how long ago it was. It just appeared on my FYP. But it was like things around the office that just make sense. And Okay. I just... Spoiler alert. I know. Though. Yeah. I'm actually, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to yeah, say it. Yeah. I just anyway, don't. I know was, what you're going to say because I've seen the edit uh, and it's yeah. very funny. If you Star Wars edit, on TikTok has been great. They, they're they killing it. Wait. Okay. I think the most important thing we need to start off with is that Savine's pet Lothcat got a name and his name is Merle. And 
Star Wars did an entire 12 hour long live stream of lo fi of can you watch Sabine's Loath Cat for her? <laughs> it's so <laughs> With good. Merle. And the Kiners did the music, did the lo fi music for that, which is so great. Which I'm a big fan of the lo fi scenes and like live streams that Star Wars has done over the past year or so. And this was a great one to add. Yeah, completely agree. I just think it was really good social. I definitely checked in a couple times during the day, which I don't mm-hmm. think I normally would yeah, on no, something I like did. that. But the fact that they named the Lothcat and the Lothcat's name is Merle, which I, I think is a perfect name, mm-hmm. honestly. I don't know. I, I just think it's genius. And all during the day, I'm like, are we going to see the Lothcat? Why are they doing this? Are they doing this because we're not going to see the Lothcat? <laughs> Charlotte sent me a text out- that said, option one, we see the Lothcat. Option two, we don't see the loft. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you're right. Groundbreaking speculation here. <laughs> but I was really just thinking through it so much. And I, in retrospect, the obvious thing is that the social media managers, like my, I know this, I know this, this vibe. Okay. Cause I am one too. They're like, oh, let's do something fun. And it doesn't interfere with the story at all. Really? So I wonder who got to come up with the name for the cat, Merle. <sighs> the strike has got to be over soon so we can find out. I oh, need to know more. <laughs> questions. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, okay. So like Charlotte said, we are recording this during the strike. It's October 5th that we're recording this. So SAG has actually started up negotiations again with the AMPTP not too long ago, but we are still waiting for it. So as of now, We've, uh, I feel like we put this disclaimer in every episode so far, but we've seen all of Ahsoka <laughs> now at this point. And uh, I'm looking forward to kind of talking about both of these episodes together and kind of reflecting a little bit on the season as a whole. Yeah, me too, completely. And I think it's probably good that we're recording these together and not just individually because I think I had always treated Part 7, Dreams and Madness, as sort of A to like part A to uh, the finale versus part B as the finale. Like Star Wars used to do this thing where there was one hour finales all the time where there would be two episodes in a finale, especially with Rebels and mid-season finales and things like that. So this is a long way to say I think they they worked well together. So it's good that we're talking about them together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what did you think of these this set of episodes? I loved them. I think they're not my favorite episodes of the season, which is fine. But uh, I I think they were really great. I loved, I love spending time on Peridia. I think this is the coolest planet ever. I love the look of it. And I don't know, I feel like I have a lot of things to say individually. Um, Mm -hmm. But before we do this, and before we talk about like our reactions and things like that, we need to say that part seven is called Dreams and Madness, directed by Gita Vasant Patel, who has directed episodes of Meet the Patels, House of the Dragon, Mindy Project, Witcher, The Great, etc. Lots of great projects. And part eight is called, drumroll, The (laughs) Jedi, The Witch, and The Warlord. And it is uh, directed by our old friend, Rick Famuyiwa, Sky Talker's guest. (laughs) And (laughs) yes, our old friend. (laughs) Our old friend, who we've talked to one singular time. Anyway, that title really... I was screaming, screaming. (laughs) I what's so funny is that we've talked a lot about Narnia this season, right in our episodes. And I had been typing up our notes for episode seven before episode eight come out, came out. And 
I had put, I forget what I'd put in the notes, but I basically written in our Google Doc notes, sorry to keep bringing Narnia into this. <laughs> and then the next episode was titled The Jedi, The Witch, and The Warlord. <laughs> I was like, Dave is wow. literally like, yes, keep bringing Narnia into this. Keep bringing Narnia into this. <laughs> Which if you're not familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia, the first book is called The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe. So The Jedi, The Witch, and The Warlord. You can see the parallel, I hope. <laughs> the, the first book. Is it the first book? It is. The, the first book that C.S. Lewis published in the Narnia yeah. series. <laughs> in the Narnia if we series, really yes. want to get granular. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, very, it's very Star Wars in this way. Okay? You know, it, it really <laughs> yeah, is. I always thought, it, I've mentioned this before, I took a C.S. Lewis class in college. I think in the past I've said that I took a Tolkien class. That was wrong. I took a C.S. Lewis class. I don't know why I said that. We read Tolkien in it, but that I remember when we were talking about like the order of the Narnia books, and I was like, "This is so Star Wars." <laughs> <laughs> the fact that everything is out of order, love that. I've always done the order that they were published. That's mm, how I read them. I have my mom's like Narnia box set book from like the seventies, and that's the order that they're in. Um, mm -hmm. I was very much. What's funny is that when the Narnia movies were coming out, the way that you were on like the Star Wars forums, I was on the Narnia forums. Um, they existed uh, <laughs> for like the movies coming out. And this was always like a huge topic of debate, which it is funny. It's so Star Wars. But I was very much a read them in the order they were published. Truther. Well, that was my professor was too, by the way. Yeah. I think there's something. Th I think it's necessary to to do it both, honestly. Like if you're going to be a student of something like Star Wars or Narnia um, that have these kind of permutations that you can read uh, or view things in. I think it's important to do both because there's definitely something to be said for reading like the Chronicles of Narnia in the order that C.S. Lewis published them to like see his train of thought as the world building of Narnia grew through those films, uh, through those novels, but then also to do it in the chronological order that he created through that process. It's the same with Star Wars. Like you get new perspectives and new understandings when you look at it through a certain point of view. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, I'll say quickly with the two episodes, I have kind of the same perspective of you that uh, I thought they were good. They weren't my favorite of the season. I think that still goes to episodes five and six. Those were just ooh, chef's kiss. Perfect for me. Uh, but there is still a lot to talk about in these episodes. So why don't we dive into part seven, Dreams and Madness. We start off with a cold open that includes Hera and Mon Mothma and Senator Ziono just being the biggest thorn in Hera's side. <laughs> and the thing that I took away from this cold open Honestly, a couple things. First off, we had a C-3PO inclusion that brought Leia in in a very good way, honestly. Like, I was really happy that there wasn't like a deep fake situation or a hologram or anything that, I don't know. I just, I felt like having 3PO come was really magical and I really liked it. Um, what did you think about that 3PO moment? I really liked it. I got to say, though, the moment I, I liked having 3PO in it, the moment I thought was funnier between our droids with Chopper is when Ziona was like, it's just like a mere droid. And you see Chopper in the back like, oh, my God, like, let me at him. <laughs> let, let me at him. Let me at him. Carson Steve is like, settle down, settle down. <laughs> settle down. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's like so thinking funny. of all the warm war crimes he can commit in this moment. In this moment, in front of the entire New Republic uh, <laughs> leading council or whatever they call themselves. But yeah, I thought it was a nice way to include Leia, um, and very fitting that her that she would be the one to be like, "No, I totally approve this mission." Um, Even was, though she didn't, she she <laughs> didn't. Was, she did eventually, as Hera yeah. tells Mon Mothma. Um, I thought it was I thought it was very funny. I gotta say, I hate Senator Ziono so much that I'm starting to think that he himself is a Thrawn plant or an Imperial plant. So yeah. watch this space for the next time mm-hmm. we come back to these characters because he's just oh, he's too evil. He's too I, rude. He's too rude. Evil's he's, not the right word. He's, he's just too rude. annoying. He's too annoying. Yeah. And I think that Star Wars in both The Mandalorian and Ahsoka now have done a good job of showing this sort of dysfunction of the New Republic. We've talked about this sort of extensively on this show. And I do kind of think they need another Imperial sympathizer that we mm-hmm. can love to hate. Um for this story mm-hmm. to continue. Yeah. And I think here we are with Senator Zion. <laughs> and we've, we've a, found it. <laughs> we found him. Here he is. <laughs> this is, again, our pitch for you to watch Star Wars Resistance if you haven't watched it yet, because Senator Ziono's son, Kaz Ziono, is the star of Star Wars Resistance. And he is the complete opposite of his father in... I was trying to think of who Kaz was like, and I really can't think of anyone that he's like. <laughs> He's kind of like a cross between Ezra season one and also Wrecker from The Bad Batch. I was just about to say that. Yeah, that's kind of the closest comparison I can come to. But he has no skills. Like Ezra and Wrecker have skills. Kaz has zero skills. (laughs) He can fly. That's not true. He's a good pilot. He's a good pilot. Um, But he has no... I love Kaz. No skills. Let me okay. Let me back up. He has no worldly experience, right. and this kind of slaps him in the face again and again in the show Resistance. Um, yeah. So anyway, he does have skills. Please watch Resistance. Show some love to Kaz. The better of the Ziono. <laughs> totally. So there was a mention in this beginning, though, that I think is worth talking about about Gideon and this fight between Gideon, right, Caitlin? that really cements, I think, the Ahsoka timeline as taking place after Mandalorian Season 3, which is interesting. And I think that this is kind of what we have been suspecting this whole time. But Mm -hmm. in the way that Jon Favreau, in a very viral sense, has talked confusingly (laughs) about the timelines of like how old Grogu is and everything, I think it's very clear that Star Wars is trying to tell things chronologically as they happen with the Mandalorian Mandoverse, basically, by the speed in which they are released, right? So, like, yes, Ahsoka takes place after Mandalorian Season 3 because it's physically taking place after Mandalorian Season 3, right? And I think that that is pretty good. I like that. I think it makes it easy for me to (laughs) understand on some level. I, yeah, as far as the timelines go, I realize that I'm just going to have to re-remind myself. We're just getting worse and worse at it as, as we go on. No, I re- it's frightening. Is it age? Yeah. Is it the fact that there's more Star Wars, a combination? I don't know. But I think it's more Star Wars. I was thinking about it when I was watching the finale today, actually, for the second time. I was like, wow, there's a lot of Star Wars. Because I was reveling in the fact that the show exists and... Mm 
it's so cool that it exists, but it exists because of all the things that came before it. And I was like, wow, there's been a lot of stuff that has come before it in the past 10 years, right? Mm-hmm. And that is crazy. We're so lucky. We're It is such a great time to be a Star Wars fan, but it does require me to brush up sometimes. <laughs> yeah. For like one minute and think about the timeline and also brush up and like keep tabs on things. In the past, like we used to just, before there were all these TV shows, even before there was like the Clone Wars, all we really had were those six movies, you know? And even before that, all they had were those three movies and some books, right? And I think that now the lexicon is really large. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was, it's fun in our Rebels rewatch episodes that we've been putting out for each season. The first part, we always take a little bit of time to contextualize what had come out at that time period when that season of Star Wars Rebels was airing. And it's so crazy to put yourself back in that mindset that You know, it was just kind of, for the most part, the sequel trilogy that was coming out at that period. And then as soon as Rogue One came out, that kind of threw a little bit of a timeline. Oh, okay, let me let me readjust where we are. But that was nothing compared to what we're doing now, especially in a show like Ahsoka, where we're going back and forth between timelines a lot when we've got these world between worlds uh, flashbacks, you know, going to different time periods as well. So, yeah, just, you know, just a lot of things to keep up with, but it's fine. We'll, we'll get there. That's why it's we better do It's better than fine. It's great. It's so fun. Yeah, exactly. It's very fun. <laughs> so I think before we move on, actually, we should just say that kind of the big takeaway here is not only were was Hera kind of getting a slap on the wrist again, um, and Ziono is kind of voicing his disapproval of what she's doing and that he still thinks it's very personal what she's doing, but... Uh, as we see Hera and Mon Mothma talk about at the end of the scene, Mon Mothma asks, how real is the threat of Thrawn's return? And Hera says, we have to prepare for the worst and hope for the best. And we know that they don't because eventually the First Order will rise. Yeah. And I'm really curious to see how this is all going to happen because now we know rewatching these together was an interesting experience um, versus week to week because now we know that Thrawn's back and... Ahsoka and Sabine are not. And what is Thrawn's role in the rise of the First Order or or not? I don't know. And what is what did he bring back to Dathomir? It's just like wild. I need answers. You know, <laughs> I need answers. Something that is just really cool about this episode is I really did not expect to see Hayden Christensen again at all, honestly, for the rest of the season. And we got the Anakin recordings here, which I think is just so sweet. I love the fact that there's Um, Some confirmation that Anakin made, I think she said 20 or more recordings that Anakin made for Ahsoka in a training sense throughout the Clone Wars. And she still has them and she keeps them in this lovely little wooden box that I thought that there was a really nice character feature that her hand sort of lingers on the box a little bit after when she talks about it. And I, I don't know, it's really heartening to think about the fact that Ahsoka kept this for this long and still watches them and has such like an affection towards them. And I wonder, I wondered if there was a point in which she wasn't watching these because she was upset about what Anakin had become after learning so in, in Star Wars Rebels and her coming back to them. I just, I wonder about that. I don't know. And I know we've seen these recordings of Anakin before teaching like the lightsaber forms and Ezra has viewed them before, but these are so personal to Ahsoka because he's literally instructing Ahsoka. And I I don't know. I just really loved this. 
Yeah, I really liked this inclusion. And I was thinking the same thing about if she hasn't played them in a long time because Hu Yang doesn't know that they exist or doesn't know that she has them. So presumably she's never played them in her time with Hu Yang, um, which I don't know exactly when they joined up, but perhaps it was after she found out about Vader and hasn't been able to watch them. And I think we kind of see this throughout the next two episodes about Ahsoka has kind of reconciled her relationship or her, I guess, her feelings about Anakin and what he became and being able to hold on to the good parts of him that she still has. Um, I wanted to say this whole, okay, let me say this about episode seven. To me, episode seven has kind of been the weakest of the whole season. It was very like, I don't know. I liked the action in it, but I was like, okay, what's next? What's next? You know, like the whole like chase through the star field in this beginning section isn't my favorite thing we've ever seen in the show so far. (laughs) But I will say that I was so very nervous about our beloved star whales and oh, so was that, I. I've been talking about this for a while. I know. The like, fact that they so jumped stressed. away, that they jumped away, I was like, thank the maker. <laughs> they yeah, are Dave was sick. like, I'm not going to do that to you. I'm not going to make Don't you worry. watch a pergle die and thank yeah. God. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Um, the yeah. one thing I did like about this whole sequence was that Thrawn notes that the Jedi are very good at hiding. And this is exactly what we see Ahsoka do. Once the initial attack is called off, she goes and she hides within the debris field and turns off the ship and everything. So I, I thought that was I thought that was good. The the next thing is we we go back to Sabine and Ezra, which I was so excited about. I was like, fine, yes, yes, let me see Sabine and Ezra interact. I've decided that the only thing I need in my life is live action Ezra, and I'll be I'll be set. I'll be happy. But <laughs> I love this interaction between them, this whole conversation they have about Ezra kind of alludes that Sabine has caught him up on some things that have happened about, you know, the Empire and the Rebellion, this wonderful line of the Emperor died. That's what people say. Basically, get a spit take. (laughs) No, I loved it. I loved it because... I love the concept that there is doubt about whether or not the mm-hmm. emperor died. I think this would be honestly the case, and I would, they would probably do this story if they didn't even bring back the emperor, to be honest, because yeah. I think from like our present day world, we, we know that conspiracy theories immediately rise with anything. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like there would be doubt whether or not the emperor died on the second Death Star and what the word is from some one guy, literally just one guy. Yeah. I feel like it Who's isn't... also saying that Darth Vader was like chill in the end. Right. I think it would be a lot for the public to like fully accept that. I don't know. I think that with someone who had reigned for like 23 years over the galaxy, I don't think that it would be an easy acceptance that, oh yeah, he's dead now, you yeah. know? And so I really liked the fact that Sabine was like, that's what people say. I mean, I just, it says so much in that line. Yeah, I totally agree. I thought it was such a a cheeky line in general, but I think like you were saying, when you put this note in our notes, I was like, oh yeah, that's it. That it makes sense. Um, But I really liked this whole conversation because I thought it was so great to see how Sabine and Ezra's relationship has just kind of picked right back up. And this whole time Ezra 
Ezra's been alone now, you know, without the ghost crew for whatever. <laughs> Again, we're not going back to the timeline, but a number of years. <laughs> 10 years. We Ten know from Jason. Yeah. Yeah. 10 years. Um, and he is not pushing Sabine for all of these things, all of these updates, right? He's kind of letting her tell him at her own pace, which that would not be me at all. The fact that he hasn't pushed her to like really reveal how she got to Peridia, I think is so telling. And he kind of knows when she's at the limit. And I don't know, I just, it was really nice kind of conversations between them. Uh, and even like the fact that this is now the first time that she's revealing to him that Ahsoka is training her. And he's like, well, why? <laughs> It was just, it was a lovely conversation. And I love the, wait, why? I mean, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that it was really good that Ezra commented about how Sabine had trained a little bit before with him. Mm -hmm. And because I think if you are only watching the show, didn't watch the animation, which, okay, that you might not know that that was the case, but she did, right? Like we've seen this a lot. So um, I really liked that. I don't know. Yeah, I did too. I just, I think again, Sabine and Ezra have really stole the show for me and the way that they've embodied, you know, Tia Sakar and Taylor Gray's performances and brought something new to them as well, I think is so well done. And I loved seeing them together. One thing we talked about in our last episode was the first time Sabine is going to use the force. And both of those times, if they're like different firsts, I guess, happened in part seven and part eight, as we expected. But we talked a little bit about how, okay, so Sabine didn't use the force to find Ezra. When is her force moment going to happen? And we had speculated and talked a little bit about how it's probably going to happen with Ahsoka because that's their journey. Their journeys are together. They're, the main conflict is between Sabine and Ahsoka really as master and apprentice. And I think the first time we really do see Sabine connect in the force, it's really cool that it's this force bond between Ahsoka and Sabine reminiscent of Luke and Leia in Empire Strikes Back. I, I think it was really great. And um, what was cool about it is that Sabine wasn't like, um, wasn't immediately like, oh my God, I just did this like force bond with Ahsoka. <laughs> she was sort of questioning it a little bit and being like, wow, that felt like weird basically. And I, I don't know. I, th I thought that was a good touch. Yeah. I thought it was uh, great that this was her first use of it. You mentioned this in our last episode that it should be between Ahsoka and Sabine because I was like, why wasn't it between Sabine and Ezra? <laughs> <laughs> but this it was good to be reminded that this show is actually about their relationship as master and apprentice because they really have been apart for a long time and in the show and have gone on some very impactful journeys the two of them separately so it was great to kind of bring them back like this together uh, so I thought it was, I thought it was a good moment. And again, it's something that Sabine doesn't share with Ezra in this moment either, like you said, and she also hasn't shared that she thinks Ahsoka has died until we see Ahsoka again, <laughs> uh, or when all three of them are together again. It's just, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just a, a piece of her character of keeping things close to her chest a lot until she absolutely has to share them. 
Yeah, she's like super emotionally closed off. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think an interesting thing is so was Ahsoka, but she had a little bit of a transformation. A little bit is being um, not right. Like she had a full transformation <laughs> with her time in the world between worlds in which she comes to Peridia. Um, I think like lighter, happier, hugging, mm-hmm. you know, accepting, understanding of this master and apprentice relationship that she has with Sabine that she wasn't really that accepting before she saw that through her relationship with Anakin and is really internalizing that and you can really see it and Mm -hmm. I think um these two people who are both emotionally closed off which is a very Star Wars thing to be by the way everyone is emotionally closed off except for maybe Ezra but (laughs) I (laughs) I feel like they'll work through it together in season two because we're going to get a season two but something I thought and I said that confidently like there's been no confirmation (laughs) just willing it. I thought it was interesting that the great mothers interfered with the force bond between Ahsoka and Sabine and was able to locate where they were both, they were all able to locate Ahsoka's location through this. And I think if the great mothers interfere with fate, then you think that maybe this bond between Ahsoka and Sabine, this is what my brain goes to is fate. They are supposed to be master and apprentice and together as we see in the finale on this new planet together or this Mm -hmm. new galaxy. Yeah. But I think too, with Sabine and Ahsoka, because Sabine doesn't present as we would say, like a normal Jedi, she doesn't have a high midi-chlorian count, at least (laughs) maybe not, but kind of going against that fate as well of this isn't anyone that I would pick necessarily to be a part of the Jedi temple, but she's going to be my Padawan anyway. I think you could read it both ways. But why don't we like skip to the actual fight uh, that Sabine and Ezra and eventually Ahsoka are all taking part in here with all of the Noti. I loved this strategy of the Noti kind of all circling up, circling the wagons. I love that saying. It's really, uh, I can really picture it in my head (laughs) when they say that. And so to see all the Noti's little shell home circle up it made for a good set piece i think for this fight with all these people and of course we get the moment of ezra telling sabine that the lightsaber is hers now he doesn't need a lightsaber the force is his ally (laughs) (laughs) until until he does need a weapon (laughs) and then he uses it i loved though that ezra gets kind of the first piece of action here in this fight like after he rejects the lightsaber. He sees one of the, I don't know what you call them, the the enemy coming up and he like pulls Sabine away and starts like fighting. I thought it was really great. I liked to see him kind of get the first, like I said, the first piece of action. But I enjoyed this, uh, this battle, this fight. You know, we get all these players kind of coming in and out between uh, the, the Noti, Ezra and Sabine. And then also Shin arrives and we get to see a little bit of Ezra versus Shin, which... I got to say, I like their dynamic too. We're Shin Sabine shippers here, but I would also be a Ezra Shin shipper. Um, it has like a good kind of like Ezra is the golden retriever and Shin is not, you know, like that dynamic. <laughs> I'm here for it, but I just don't think it's going to happen now that No, Ezra I don't think is it is now either. So elsewhere. <laughs> so elsewhere. Versus everyone else. Yeah, it just means I don't have to give up Shin and Sabine. Totally. Uh, together. <laughs> I actually put in her notes, I was like, they could all be together as like a thruple. <laughs> well, oh my God. <laughs> I just think that's they a, all have a good dynamic. Yeah. I, like I, I just think, I think what makes this fight that you're 
probably commenting on it good is that we finally get to see Ezra in action using the force and they're all kind of like using their skills here mm-hmm. and then Ahsoka comes in in the last minute after her fight with Balin which I thought was a really good fight too um, yeah. I really liked that fight I want to say a couple things about that too I think all the samurai stuff that they're really pushing with Ahsoka really works for me because what sort of fight choreography we're getting in this series is really quick and like closer to the prequel fight choreography than we've gotten in recent years, to be honest. And I really like it. (laughs) This is going to be the last time I say it. Okay. Last time I talk about this damn theory I brought up. Oh, okay. Go for it. Go for it. Um, Okay. So I've talked about for the past couple of episodes that I think that, um, uh, Balin and Ahsoka are the relationship that Ahsoka has and shares with Balin is somewhat analogous to the relationship she could have had or like the struggles that she has with Anakin or Darth Vader and the past that they have together. And I think that you can see that here in this final battle that we have between Ahsoka and uh, Balin because at the end of it, she says... Well, he says, you can't defeat me. And then she goes, perhaps I don't have to. And then gallops away does and chooses not to kill him and chooses to live. There we go again, like choosing to live over killing, which is the lesson or like part of the lesson that Anakin gave Ahsoka when they were in the world between worlds. And I just found this like I was. It's funny how when you watch a Star Wars duel and you think about the way that you want it to end right when you're watching it and you're like oh my gosh I'm feeling such peril for my favorite character I don't really want them to die in this instance oh my what if this is the way that they go (laughs) right and I was thinking like what's the what is what do I want from these characters and unfortunately I was like maybe this is where Ahsoka kills Balin um and maybe this was like a reshoot or something based off of what happened to Rey right and Instead, what we have is Ahsoka choosing to just walk away from the fight, which I think is just way better of a story and like part of what she learned with Anakin in the world between worlds. Right. And I think I just it lends credence to like my annoying theory that I've just been talking about so much about how (laughs) um, he's just like a surrogate Anakin for that relationship in a very distant way, obviously. But I think that that dynamic is still present between them. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely something to think about when it comes to, you know, Anakin and Ahsoka, then Balin and Shin. Um, You mentioned that it was fun to see Ezra using the Force again. And I got to say, in the first episode on Peridia, I had kind of wondered, we've talked a lot about the Force and fate and kind of how the the witches talk about fate rather than the Force. And I, I kind of found myself wondering if the Force even existed in the same way that we understand it in, you know, our galaxy in the Star Wars world. So I was pleasantly surprised to see Ezra actually using the Force because it means it does exist here. And this is where I had put in my Narnia note because Aslan in the Chronicles of Narnia says he tells the children that uh, he goes by a different name in different worlds. Um, and so I was thinking about how the force goes by a different name here well, on Peridia. That's like the Mortis gods too. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so like the force, fate, the Mortis gods, their archetypes. Um, so it, it, 
it all just to yeah again bring back Narnia <laughs> but it was it was a good moment when Ahsoka finally arrives in this battle uh, and she doesn't use a lightsaber to fight with Shin which I think goes hand in hand with what you were just saying about you know Ahsoka being lighter on Peridia both like emotionally and then also the the choosing to live and of course the great moment when she offers her hand to Shin uh, comes back to what we're always talking about with Star Wars that you can make another choice and you see I don't know if Shin really considers it I think it kind of scares her the idea of considering it she to me her face reads fear and then she runs away uh I think it's a scary idea for her a scary concept to like move beyond obviously we don't know a lot about Shin's background or anything but my perception of her is that she's been she was lost and then Balin took her in or something. I'm making this mm-hmm. up, but this is sort of what I am assuming because she's, she questions so much that she almost has this look on her face about like, she's never experienced the world before. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So my assumption is that she's having her own journey of discovery and this concept of like moving beyond Balin is something that she has only recently been <laughs> presented with as Balin basically just cut her out and was like I'm moving on so I I, yeah which is like what the heck just happened I was like did he he just is he saying he's he's done she's not coming I didn't get that perception when I first watched it and then I saw these other people on the internet being like that's what happened and I was like oh I thought he was just like going off to do a thing but obviously with seeing the finale it's very clear that he is going off to do a thing without her yeah yeah Alone. <laughs> so, so yeah, fully leaving her. And so I think her being in this position of vulnerability and like in all in all definitions of that word, she has never been presented with being with anyone else. And now mm-hmm. she is just going to go back to, as we see in the finale, to what was familiar to her. But mm-hmm. hopefully in a season two, we see this dynamic being explored because her character is really cool to me. And I think there's... Uh, a lot of a lot we can do with the fact that she's force sensitive. She's trained under Balin, and now Ahsoka and Sabine are there. It just creates an interesting dynamic. Can't wait to see where it goes. Yeah, me too. I I'm glad that they're all still kind of on this planet together. At least that we still have a lot of our major players. Um, we've kind of come to the end of episode seven, which I can feel in our conversation. We really just kind of want to get to episode eight, but I did, I mentioned earlier that I think that this was kind of the weakest episode so far in the season. And I kind of wanted to just explain my thoughts on that really briefly. Um, I think that this episode was like really action heavy and there wasn't a lot of necessary plot that moved forward. Like the only, in my opinion, the kind of only big thing that happened was Ahsoka joining Ezra and Sabine. Like we still didn't find out what Thrawn was giving to the great mothers or what Balin was going after, which to be fair, we kind of, we kind of still don't know. We definitely have like some more clues, but it wasn't Mm -hmm. spelled out for us. Um, And I thought that it felt a little strange to have this penultimate episode, not really end on any kind of cliffhanger other than, you know, Thrawn saying they're running out of time and they have to get back to the ship in order to leave Peridia, which it's something that we kind of already knew from part six when Thrawn kind of tells this to Sabine after they send her on her way to go find Ezra. So I I think that that kind of, I think this episode for me kind of highlighted some areas that I think the show could have done better, which we'll talk about a little later. Um, But in kind of some of that pacing, like I said, it just felt kind of strange that I, I feel like I knew 
to me, I felt like the characters all kind of were in the same place plot wise that they were in the previous episode, except for Ahsoka joining Ezra and Sabine. Um, But otherwise, everything felt kind of like we ended in the same spot. So anyway, I still thought it was a very fun episode. Uh, Being with our heroes was great. I loved Ezra and Sabine and Ahsoka all together. And of course, the Ahsoka and Ezra reunion was just, it was a good moment. It was a really, it was a good hug. It was a good smile. It was a good moment. And I'm here for the hugs. Yeah, I do agree with you about that. However, I still in my brain just thought this was like a pre-finale episode. So I feel like I'm a little bit more forgiving, I guess, for an episode like this, setting up the finale. And like maybe it should have just been one episode or like an extended episode of seven and eight together. But I I genuinely think that we need 10 episode seasons at least Mm -hmm. for these. And since Caitlin mentioned we are rewatching Rebels and... Probably by now, all of that is on on our feed somewhere, all of our episodes about Rebels. But it's very clear what it used to be like to have like a 22-episode season, 16-episode season, and things like that. And yes, those were like 20-minute episodes and everything. But um, I think the show, and me personally as a fan, could have benefited from two more episodes. <laughs> and I think that's, that's okay to say. Um, it didn't take away from my enjoyment of the series, but I definitely wish that there were more you know? Yeah. I think when we, when we kind of wrap up, I think when we talk about some of the like slower parts of the season, I think that could have been helped with maybe 10 episodes or 12, like Andor was 12. Right. And I thought that was, yeah, that felt good. That felt good. And I will say the opposite is true too, that like, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi at six episodes, that feels much shorter than two episodes. So the story is condensed in a much bigger way. Uh, but the eight feels kind of like it's living in no man's land a little bit, honestly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's it's sort of interesting because I feel weird critiquing the amount of episodes, honestly, because I I feel strongly that like a season should only be as long as it needs to be. Mm-hmm. And like a, a story should only be as long as it needs to be. If a story is three paragraphs a story that's three paragraphs is probably and can be just as valuable as a story that's 30 chapters it yeah that does happen right and I think that for this series I think I could have used two more episodes honestly I think so too uh all right but let's let's go into part eight the Jedi the witch and the warlord uh again just the title. the title. I yeah, whatever. Okay. Um <laughs> do you think when Dave was writing he was like he he he. <laughs> yeah, I think so. And I think at some point we have to ask him about naming episodes. Oh my god, I know. The thought I process know. like what what really goes into how you pick a name for an episode. Yeah. Uh, you know, I just Gosh, I, think, I just I think we we have to waste our one question <laughs> next time on this. <laughs> I know. I know. It's just like the fact that What's what's sad about this season being completely surrounded by um, hot strike summer, which very supportive. Our show is very supportive of the strikes strikes mm-hmm. work, and our writers got a great deal. And I'm sure the actors are going to get an amazing deal too when you listen to this. But it's it is sad that we missed out on a press cycle for the show because a lot of that means that we're missing out on 
excellent Dave Filoni interviews and like insights to the episodes themselves. And maybe those Mm -hmm. will come later, but I do feel sad that we're missing those because there's been sometimes like week to week where you've been like, oh, if only there was like a Rebels recon type thing or something. And we could get tastes of those with, you know, articles that Amy Ratcliffe would write about Dave Filoni with the interview or something, you know, and we don't get that with this, but maybe we will later. And maybe we'll just have to talk about all of that sort of press cycle once that comes out because I'm sure we'll glean a lot of new information from the behind the scenes and the choices that come out. And yes, I am all for wasting our one question if we ever get a chance to talk to Dave again and only get one question on the titles. <laughs> That's it makes a lot of sense to me. I think we I think we should. So we're yeah. kind of committing to it here. I feel, you know, if there's not a press cycle, there'll definitely be a gallery episode, which um We'll have to do an episode on because we can't do – sorry to be like talking about the podcast here, but, you know, after a lot of these shows, we've done a QA and a episode and we can't really do that right now or at least right now when we're recording this. So maybe in lieu of a Q&A episode, depending on when the strike ends, we'll be able to do like a full episode on the gallery um, to yeah, put on the feed because be we usually just do that for Patreon, but – since we can't do a Q&A episode like we usually do. Anyway, anyway, just kind of talking in some, the weeds there. Talking but. some admin. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's okay, getting back into the Jedi, the Witch and the Warlord. I thought it was funny this kind of opening part with Thrawn where of course Morgan is like, "It's fine. Everything's fine." And Thrawn's like, "I will not let one little dumb Jedi beat me again." So, it's not fine. <laughs> That's how I ended up here. <laughs> so I, I thought that was kind of funny. But we get this whole ritual with the great mothers of fully making Morgan Elsbeth, I guess, a, a full Dathomir witch. I loved seeing her face change. The fact that she gets Mother Talzin's sword. The fact that we have Mother Talzin's sword in live action is just crazy. Um I really liked seeing this ritual. So I got to say, I was pretty disappointed that she died, which, you know, maybe she's not dead. But the second time I was watching this episode, I was thinking, oh, this ritual is so cool. But she doesn't stay this way for very long. <laughs> she I, think I think she died because the great mothers are like, she's dead. Yeah. And Ahsoka kills her with, she slashes her with both the sword and the lightsaber. Which is so like it, the coolest thing ever. It really was cool. <laughs> uh, I got to say, you know, this series, we've talked about it a couple times, but this series having so many women in it, uh, both in front of the camera and behind the camera. I just think it's really cool that we had this other battle between two women over the age of 40, just going all out on it. And they're not dressed provocatively. There's not a boyfriend anywhere near them. Like <laughs> it's it's really cool. It sounds think- so like strong female character of me to be like, there's not a love interest for either of these, because I for one love a romance story and would be eternally happy if Ahsoka found someone to be in love with. But I just thought it was great to see these like two older women have this great you know this is their second duel which i thought was honestly better than what we saw in the mandalorian and i really like that matchup in the mandalorian it's different Um, it's just different different. it's very different fighting with a staff now it's a sword it just changes yeah absolutely but i just thought i think it's great uh that we have that we have this so i agree 
I think it's really cool. Yeah. Just overall. I uh, think about that every time I started the show. I'd be mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh. So the show, this is what I mean about like I am a fan being serviced. Like I feel so uh, catered to <laughs> in seeing myself in Star Wars. And I think that's really awesome. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's one of the reasons why we liked the Ahsoka character from the get-go, the very beginning, the first Clone Wars movie, the whole, all of that, right? Yeah. Um, because we were like, this is so new. This is so different. <laughs> so <laughs> now here Imagine. we are on almost like an exponential level in this show with the amount of women and women Jedi force wielders, which is so cool. Just awesome. Yeah. Very awesome. Anyway, another awesome thing that we saw that um, was uh, brought a tear to my eye is the fact that Ezra made a lightsaber that is reminiscent and used the same parts as Kanan's. And I seen the discovery and the realization that Ezra didn't know who Hu Yang was really and like his history and getting that explained to him. But then also Hu Yang ref- referring to Kanan as Kanan, but then also Caleb. I just really loved that. He says, I taught almost every youngling at the Jedi Temple, including your master. Clever boy Caleb was, very curious, a little shy perhaps. Who could blame him? Those were troubling times. I mean, that was just adorable. Just the conversation. I don't know. I got to tell you guys (laughs) that, so we're doing our Rebels rewatch at the same time, right? And I am almost done with season four uh, as we prep to record our season four uh, discussion. But the I was this close to watching Jedi Knight before watching this episode of Ahsoka, the finale. I had 25 minutes before Ahsoka started and I could have watched Jedi Knight before. And I was like, I shouldn't do this to myself emotionally. <laughs> And, you know, that was a good decision because... I think it was a bold, good choice. It, I would have lost it seeing this whole, you know, thing with the lightsaber and the, you know, I taught Kanan and all of this. I would have low-key lost it <laughs> if I had just watched Jedi Knight before this episode. But I thought this was so great. I think I'm really glad that... Ahsoka that the show doesn't shy away from like these deep cut references I think we'll talk about this at the very end when we're kind of talking about the season as a whole but a lot of people have kind of brought up like if you've never watched Rebels do you really care about this show and I'm glad that Ahsoka as a show doesn't really care about that question (laughs) to the point that they'll put Caleb Doom in because I think that's a pretty deep cut honestly it is it is and I think it's one of those things where that's why he says Kanan first and then Caleb. And it's like almost like if you were just listening, I don't know. You could, I, you could no, miss that. I think that would confuse the heck out of me if I was just an average viewer. I, I would be like, you should. I would be like, why did, I'd be like, who's Caleb? Why did he say, why didn't he say Kanan? Did, I'd be like, did Hu Yang pronounce it differently? Kanan, Caleb, Caleb, Kanan. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's what I would be doing. But I thought uh, the matching lightsabers, I was so excited to see it, to see that Ezra has a blue lightsaber now. 
It was great. And then Sabine is watching this whole thing unfold too and seeing this reflection that Kanan or that Ezra is kind of having for Kanan. I think she probably holds up a lot of Kanan and Ezra's relationship and compares it to her and Ahsoka's and that it doesn't look the same. If you listen to our Rebels discussions, we talk a lot about Kanan and Ezra and how they have a really strong relationship and that Ezra is Kanan's number one fan uh, especially in the first couple seasons he's always like you've got to teach me this you're my master what are we doing master let's get training <laughs> and uh, I think Sabine might have thought that her relationship with Ahsoka as an apprentice would look like that too and then they ended up in very different places uh, so I think it's probably I think I see it as really meaningful for her to watch this moment of Ezra with the lightsaber that mirrors Kanan's and kind of thinking on a whole about you know my relationship with Ahsoka doesn't have to look like theirs and theirs is beautiful and had its ups and downs but they were ultimately there for each other I can do the same with Ahsoka yeah yeah and I think that there is a lot of learning that happened or putting into practice the learnings that had happened in this uh, finale episode in particular we also learned in this moment a little bit more about the separation between Ahsoka and Sabine that happened after um after Rebels, basically, when Ahsoka took Sabine as her Padawan, and then there was some doubts that happened. Hu Yang says, Ahsoka became afraid that Sabine was training to be a Jedi for the wrong reasons after what happened on Mandalore. And he, he explains, at the end of the war, the Empire purged the entire surface of the planet, killing hundreds of thousands. Ezra asks her family, and Hu Yang says, we're all lost, sad, sadly. At the time, Ahsoka felt that it's Sabine Ahsoka felt that if Sabine unlocked her potential, she would become dangerous. What do you think about this whole exchange? Like, is there an allusion to dark side Sabine or Sabine, maybe that worry being warranted or not warranted? Because I think the show is sort of proving that maybe that wasn't warranted and that was a rude thing to, for Ahsoka to do. <laughs> a, what, a little rude, Ahsoka. You what did you think? You can't just assume everyone's going to fall to the dark side. <laughs> Well, I mean, you can, but when you have the trauma like Ahsoka, mm -hmm. I mean, it's kind of scary. I think that um, the it made me think about how Ahsoka treated Din and Grogu mm -hmm. in The Mandalorian, and how Ahsoka was basically immediately like, "I'm not, I can't train him. I just can't train him. I cannot take it on another Jedi. It's just I can't do it." And she was very hardlined. Maybe Luke will do it. I'll give you the information, but like I, I'm not going to do it. I can help you here, but that's it. It's interesting to put that into perspective about what's even more that because when we read that scene initially, our thought was, oh, she's just saying that because she's scarred about Anakin and her relationship to the Jedi. And I think that's true. <laughs> okay. I think all of that is true. I think all this trauma is compounded, but I think, um, thinking about like understanding this layer on top of it makes that scene even more interesting to me. Yeah, I totally agree. And I'm glad you included this reference to Grogu and the Mandalorian in our notes because I hadn't thought about it. And I think I think she it's absolutely about Anakin, but also about Sabine. I think that this um, it's interesting to finally get this 
exposition about what happened. And I'm sure that in future exploration of them, we'll see kind of more unpacking of what happened. Uh, This hit home especially hard because, yeah, watching season four of Rebels, the first couple episodes of that season are all about Sabine's family and Mandalore. And... Yeah, it's it's rough to think that all of those people are gone now. And I know what Sabine would have felt because we've seen that emotional reaction from Sabine a lot throughout Rebels in Trials of the Dark Saber. And then, you know, when the weapon that Sabine creates in Rebels for the Empire before she joined the Ghost Crew and before she defected from the Empire was called the Duchess. And it was this weapon that cut through Mandalorian Beskar and basically incinerated whoever was inside. A really violent, vicious weapon. And when she thinks that that weapon has killed her family and rebels, her emo- her reaction is so emotional. And then even after Kanan passes away, her first emotion, her first reaction is that she wants to go and blow up the city in Lothal where the Empire is throwing a parade. She's like, I'll just go. Like, let's set off some fireworks. Let's blow up some stuff. So I can see how how Ahsoka could see something like that unfold for Sabine to watch her entire planet perish like that, including her family. Yeah, I can kind of imagine the reaction from Sabine after seeing her in kind of somewhat similar situations throughout Rebels. Um, but the the next part of this whole scene is between Ahsoka and Sabine. And Ahsoka or Sabine says, I'm sorry. Ahsoka says, I know you're not mad. And this great thing that Ahsoka says, she says, over the years, I've made my share of difficult choices. Often no one understood my reasons except my master. He always stood by me, even when no one else did. That's why no matter what happens next, I'm going to be there for you. And I think this is really in Sabine's head when she eventually chooses to stay with Ahsoka at the very end of the episode. And it just, it really felt like a new commitment from the two of them uh, to actually be a master and an apprentice again. And Ahsoka is fully committed and she's not judging Sabine on her past choices to rescue Ezra. None of that. It's just, we're here. We know what we have to do now. Let's, let's move forward. And I think throughout this, you know, the past episodes now since the world between worlds, it does seem like Ahsoka is finally remembering and in a way celebrating the good things about Anakin. Um, after, you know, we've talked touched on this, but after she found out that he became Vader, it made her doubt everything about him and herself. I used to think that it was just doubting him. I think that's how I've usually talked about it and like her worldview. But I think what we see explored in the world between worlds is that it made her doubt everything about herself as well and who she was, who she could ultimately become. We even see Thrawn kind of reference this at the end of the episode. It really made her doubt herself that if she is everything that Anakin was, isn't that the dark side? Isn't that evil? And it's not. And that's what she kind of comes away with. And that's who she is now. But now it Like I said, it's like she's come to terms with who he was to her despite everything that he did become. And yeah, it just feels like she's in a much she's in a much better headspace. (laughs) Totally. One thing I just really appreciate about the show is that we we got there Mm -hmm. and there was there was a time where the Ahsoka that we have seen in her adulthood had such a front up that and I just really like that 
the show addressed that in a way that made us realize that it's Ahsoka's trauma that makes her doubt herself mm-hmm. and wrestling with that and going back um, into her past and talking directly to Anakin, right? And having this renewed um, understanding for Anakin as a person too makes her have a renewed understanding about her past and her childhood and her life and herself. And I think that's what you would expect from a show entitled Ahsoka is this like digging deep. But I just, I don't know. I really appreciate this exploration and the Ahsoka that we have by the end of this. Mm -hmm. And consequently, because you know, we start off the season with an episode entitled Masters and Apprentices. And I just, by the end of it, it is fully the story of these two women who really are struggling to like find their place in it. And I feel like they have found their place by the end of it. I know that I'm jumping ahead here, but like together away from it all. And there's a lot of selflessness that had to happen to get to that point. And obviously a lot more work to be done as is the human experience. But I feel like the Ahsoka that we have by the end of it, I'm just like very thankful for. I think that we we had a, a really good journey with her. Mm-hmm. I do too. All right. As we're moving through the episode, we haven't commented on it yet and we need to. The Halor, Sabine's is okay. And the the relief that went through my entire body mm-hmm. when they opened up the little door in the last episode mm-hmm. and he was he was just the color there. was in there just cutely very adorably and I don't know why I would never doubt Dave uh, around this right like there would be no reason why he would leave behind a, a wolf character <laughs> he wouldn't so, <laughs> he wouldn't so and it's kind of modeled after his dog too his own dog so yeah. Mm-hmm. It's gonna make it to the end of the series, <laughs> exactly. And I think that when we we've talked about this before in the last episode, we talked about the ending that we got in this finale, and there is no future in which Dave was going to leave behind a world of Lord of the Rings and uh, Narnia. Lord, number one, Lord of the Rings. Number two, Narnia. Number three, where. Uh, he can have his character Ahsoka ride a wolf he can and have look that. awesome. He can have that on Lethal. <laughs> Come on. But he didn't. <laughs> so now he has Ahsoka ride a wolf that looks like his dog. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's so funny. He's like, yeah, they can't go back. I can't. I can't leave the house. I created this world that's like my dreamland. And honestly, <laughs> I'm so here for it. <laughs> This is what people who like create should do. They should make their dreamland. Like this mm-hmm. is the reason why you make stuff. It's like you make stuff and you make what you're familiar with and what you love and hope that the other person loves it too. And we do. And it's just <laughs> it's, we do. I don't I don't know. I just I, there was no future in which we were gonna leave Peridia behind. I'm sorry. It was never gonna happen. <laughs> I I yeah. <laughs> I wanted them all together at the end. I will not lie to you. I feel like I'm still processing my emotions that Sabine and Ahsoka are still on Peridia, but it's fine. Uh, I, I, genuinely... I had to talk you off a cliff a little bit. You really did. <laughs> I said you were after like, I don't know. I'm is... like, it's fine. Caitlin, <laughs> what do you? I was I like, we literally Charlotte... talked about this last episode. <laughs> I sent Charlotte a 10 minute voice memo. <laughs> Yeah, when it when it arrived, I was like, 
I don't. What I didn't tell you is that all, I had the TV had turned off, and I was sitting in complete pitch blackness at ten o'clock oh at night, working through my feelings of Sabine and Ahsoka being left on. But Peridia. don't you think that those feelings, though, are exciting in themselves? They, they are. They are like that's the thing. I think they are. Yes, yes, I do. But they <laughs> they're living the th- together with the sadness of separation again. And the I last think time both we can talked about together. Ahsoka, I, I think they can too. The last time we talked about Ahsoka, I said, I don't think we're going to have a full happy ending because we just had a happy ending with The Mandalorian. That Rick directed. Rick can only do happiest, one a year? Like, <laughs> I mean, I think that's, <laughs> that's literally what you said. <laughs> Verbatim. <laughs> I just edited it. <laughs> So I um, (laughs) and I think we just came off of that like really cheesy happy ending that we loved. Oh, I loved it. It was so good. The best. (laughs) But just a reminder that that was season three. And there's been harsher division of finales within the Mandalorian too. I mean, we literally saw Grogu but get taken away from Din, right? So I think that there's we're just we just have to work this out, okay? She's still and talking me off a cliff. I'm talking off a cliff a little <laughs> bit more because I think oh, we have a lot more to talk about with this episode, but we're here, we better just stay here. The fact that Ahsoka and Sabine are staying here and it's just the the planet itself is so cool. A new galaxy We've been talking for episodes about how Ahsoka's story, it, this is the most, um, this is the boldest thing that Dave can do to a character that he's so attached to, that he wants to, and has shown us, like, he wants to, like, make their storylines align with the storylines that we're so familiar with, right? Or, like, at least that's what people have said. We've seen Ahsoka with Luke. Like, we've seen all these things that I, in retrospect now, knowing that she's on... <laughs> Peridia. I was already thankful for that because I thought it was cool and great. I'm more thankful for it now because now they're in another galaxy and who knows how long they're going to be. But I do feel like we have arrived in this fairy tale land and this decision has paved the way for a full scale fairy tale esque story for Star Wars on this really cool planet that they spent a lot of time world building and showing how freaking cool it was. And uh, it did it did not make sense for us to leave it behind um, when there was so much to explore. I don't know. No, I, I agree with you. I 100% I know agree you do. with you. I know you do. I know you do. It's just the emotions. You're balancing it all. The emotion, it makes I'm balancing it all. I'm balancing it yeah. all. Uh, yeah, I think that the world, Peridia is really cool. And, you know, when, when you were talking me off the cliff after my 10-minute voice memo in pitch darkness... <laughs> that I sent you. <laughs> you brought up a good point that like having Ahsoka on this planet now is, you know, it's removing her from what's going on, you know, effectively in the sequel trilogy or leading up to the sequel trilogy right now. Because given how important Ahsoka is, it's kind of the same thing with bringing Leia into this story. It's this question of, is she going to show up? Should she show up? Why wasn't Leia at Luke or why wasn't Ahsoka at Luke's temple? Why didn't Ahsoka ever go find Ben Solo? Why didn't Ahsoka do X? Why didn't Ahsoka do Y? You know what I mean? Um, knowing everything that she knows about the Skywalker family. So you kind of solve that problem by 
removing her from the story, uh, from the galaxy, essentially. Um, so I think that's kind of like a, a practical thing, thinking long term about the character of Ahsoka and how she fits in to the the current timeline of the Star Wars galaxy. But there are a lot of good reasons to keep her on Peridia as well, uh, with Sabine specifically. The fact that this is ultimately about their master and apprentice relationship, or, or should be, uh, having her stay is a good thing uh, with Sabine. And, you know, we've talked a ton about how Ahsoka, um, you know, past season five of the Clone Wars is kind of defined by her loneliness. Thrawn calls her a Ronin, which is, it was so fun to hear him use that word because uh, Ronin is uh, a, not a reference to Star Wars Visions, but is used in episode one, season one of Star Wars Visions. The main character in that episode is a Ronin who has a tie-in novel called Ronin. <laughs> and Ronin basically means a warrior or a samurai with no uh, lord or master, which describes Ahsoka. Uh, but I think there's also a loneliness to that. Like you're on this adventure on your own. And we have always wanted Ahsoka to come to the place where she doesn't have to be alone. And to see her at the end of this, have her Padawan there, to have this renewed sense of relief, understanding about Anakin, her own relationship with her master, and to have this like even this little community of Noti <laughs> that they're a part of now. And and pets, they all have their own howler. It just it feels it feels good for that sense. And in the world between worlds, her whole thing with Anakin when she's in the past with young Ahsoka is talking about you know, is war the only thing I'll have to teach my own Padawan? I don't want to live like that. And now she doesn't, right? She has this opportunity to exist on this planet, in this galaxy, away from, I don't want to say distractions, but all these other things that kind of pulled her focus or felt more important. And now she can just be a master and just enjoy teaching Sabine about the force without this constant threat of something happening. Now, obviously, I think there's obviously threats on this world with the people that Chin is with, with what Balin is doing, they're definitely going to get into some freaky force stuff. We've got, you know, the Mortis God statues there with Sun, who is obviously the epitome of, of evil, the dark side of the force. So I'm not saying there's not going to be uh, strife or trouble on this planet. But I think it, this planet feels so unto itself that it'll be ve a very different experience than what they had back in in our galaxy and i think i think that's really special for ahsoka and sabine to have that as well yeah completely i think this journey for these characters is very hero's journey first off like there's a lot of um it checks like all the boxes of joseph campbell's hero's journey really of being a master of two worlds i think you can say that Ahsoka becomes a master of two worlds through the world between worlds, right? Um, the belly of the whale, we have that. Like we're we're checking a lot of boxes here, and then we are in the known world, and then the own unknown world, and right now we're in the unknown world, right? And I mm -hmm. think uh, it it's for an Ahsoka that we have considered and talked about extensively as renewed. It makes sense for her to go to a place and for the story to end here and also begin here right with Ahsoka and Sabine 
getting to, like you mentioned, like be away from all the strife and like to just get away from all of like the timeline, the empire, the imperial, the fight against the empire, the rise of the first order, like getting away from that storyline that we're now familiar with and we have questions about and is being addressed in all these other different pieces of Star Wars medium. It's good to like extract her fully from it. I don't know. I think it was a really bold choice and it's, I think it's the choice that people have been asking for Dave to do for a long time. And I'm, like just really happy that he, you know, was, and I say this really affectionately, was bold enough to do it. Okay. Like to remove Ahsoka from all of that, all that familiar world and bring her into the unfamiliar. And I hope to God Disney gives them the money to make the rest because we need to see it. And this type of Star Wars storytelling, I've been saying it, this like fairy tale essence, this like it just it feels so different in like what we needed actually from this. Like we have the cowboy, the samurai-esque show with um like the western-esque show with the Mandalorian. And here in Ahsoka, we have this continuation of this wonderful animated character that is now in live action. We have this all these amazing familiar elements that were explored in these 20-minute episodes of animation that are so emotionally rich and so wonderful story-wise and everything. But now we get to explore them in a completely different medium um, through live action, but then also like fully in a different location. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> just really great. And I was really happy with the decision in the end. And maybe that's controversial, but um, the moment I saw Balin standing on top of the uh, the father's hand in this, in um what am I trying to say? Sorry. I lost my train of thought. The moment I saw Balin, yeah. The moment I saw Balin at the end standing atop of a statue of the father next to a statue of the son and noticing that the daughter is missing. I I mean, I just, I was like, oh my God, this is like the best fodder. I'm so happy we're here. Like, <laughs> This is this is it. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, I was like, this is like we needed we need more exploration of the Mortis gods. Like, is that what Balin is after? Is Balin after like something more than this like stupid cycle? It's so meta to talk about this because I just feel like it's all related. Like removing Ahsoka from like Ahsoka the character from the timeline, the known timeline that we're so familiar with, even though we just spent like 10 minutes talking about how like we get confused sometimes, but like this timeline <laughs> that we're familiar with, with the original trilogy and the rise of the empire and the fall of the empire and the new Republic and the rise of the first order and the fall of the first order, all this stuff. Right. And removing that and then getting down to the nitty gritty and like the weirdness of the force, like this is what we want. This is so cool. And like having a medium to do that where it doesn't feel super weird, right? Because like those episodes and Rebels and the Clone Wars feel so separate than everything else because they are so separate than everything else. But in this show, it can be separate on its own, you know? And seeing Balin on top of that, that was, I mean, so cool. And I, I know that for people who don't know what that means, or have never seen these Mortis gods before are probably like, oh, that's cool. That's like an interesting Lord of the Rings reference, but it, and <laughs> no. which it kind of is, but no, it's so much more because what it represents is that perhaps Balin is searching for something more within the force, which is what he was referring to in the two episodes ago about the cycle and breaking the cycle and how Caitlin and I were so thrilled to hear that being discussed because 
it just like is just like blowing past all of the guardrails that happens when you're telling a, a story that has an established canon. Um, I know I'm monologuing here, but I think it's worth mentioning that the daughter statue is missing in this carving. And immediately I was like, of course the daughter statue is missing. The daughter sacrificed herself in the Mortis trilogy in the Clone Wars for Ahsoka. And for so long, it's like, no, Ahsoka is embodies the daughter, embodies the light side of the forest, embodies Ashla and the Bogan, right? This is like... <laughs> Sometimes I talk keep about going, this. And I'm keep like, going. This is so much. Okay. But uh, the fact that Ahsoka is followed by Morai, who Morai is the owl that we see in this episode. And if you're unfamiliar, um, Morai was the owl of the daughter whose statue is missing here. And ever since the Mortis, Ahsoka has been followed by this owl, Morai, an all owl convor. It's called a convor. In moments of her fate being sealed or like in moments of these intense situations of destiny. Um, we see it at the end of the Clone Wars. We see it in Rebels when she's fighting Darth Vader. We see it in the World Between Worlds when Ahsoka first sees Ezra in the World Between Worlds and is taken out of that specific time and place. And she says like, oh, I didn't expect to see you here to Morai. And Guess where she probably didn't expect to see Morai again? In a literal other galaxy. And I think the show has so much to do and has talked about so much with the witches of Dathomir and the great mothers and everything who are literally, as we talked about before, the fates, who another word for the fates is Morai. So Morai the owl, <laughs> I'm sorry, I feel like I'm <laughs> talking crazy, but it's okay. I'm just going to keep going. Morai the owl does embody fate and Ahsoka's fate. So at the very end of the series, when we see Morai the owl, it seals the fact that Ahsoka is meant to be there. We are supposed to feel mm -hmm. confident that she is on this, like she's supposed to be on this planet. We are in this other galaxy. She's supposed to be there with Sabine. And Morai is confirming that. Then by the disappeared statue next to Balin of the daughter, it's like, oh, is this where Ahsoka is actually going to assume the position of the daughter um, in this great balance of the father, the son, and the daughter, which represents the balance of the force? Ahsoka's original name when they were uh, developing the character, Dave Filoni and George Lucas, was Ashla. And in the original writings of Star Wars, when they talked about the light side and the dark side, George Lucas called the light side and the dark side the Ashla and the Bogan. And this is later referenced by the Bendu, who talks about the balance and refers to the light side as Ashla. And I've always thought about how it was so interesting that that was Ahsoka's original name. And I think Dave has woven constantly throughout all these different stories, and especially this one, how Ahsoka is the embodiment of the light side. And when she keeps choosing life and living and mercy and all these different choices that she makes, especially in the series with Balin, with Darkseid Anakin, all of these times, right? She is reinforcing the fact that she is walking more and more close to her sort of destiny as embodying the light side of the forest. And I'm just intrigued by it all. That's it. I'm sorry. I just <laughs> went off. <laughs> but just it really just reinforced intrigued. to me. Just a little intrigued. It, I know. Like, just like minorly intrigued. I'm curious. Curious. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I have written on a sticky note here. Balin equals Anakin. 
Balin equals standing on the father statue. <laughs> Anakin equals the father, the balance. <laughs> I could go into that. <laughs> My question is, will we see the Bendu on this planet in this galaxy? I think it's totally possible. And that's what this <laughs> that's what's so cool about this planet is it like opens all that possibility. But I kind of have a headache a little bit after going back <laughs> to Holy crap. <laughs> you really are we're on a roll it was it was good it was very good <laughs> yeah there's just there's just opportunity to really dive into the definition of the force and if this is an origin point for all of these things which i think there's good reason by all these things i mean the force and like the mortis gods and all of it, which I think there's good reason to think it could be if Balin wants to come back here, right? If he wants to stop the cycle, where do you stop the cycle where it began? I think that you could make that argument. So it makes sense for them all to be here and to have this opportunity away from the general timeline to just really dig into the force. And I hope that that brings up a lot of conversations that honestly we thought we would see like in the rise of Skywalker or in the sequel trilogy in total about the dark side and the light side, um, how you have to have both even the daughter and son had elements of the dark side and light side respectively within each of them. And we see that explored in the Mortis trilogy in the Clone Wars. Uh, so I, I hope there's opportunity to do that. And I think Dave will do that because he was a part of the Mortis trilogy. <laughs> and uh, he, I think that's just how he likes to think of the force too, that, um, you know, you have, you're not all light side, even though the daughter was the embodiment of the light side. She, showed dark side feelings and she still she loved she loved the sun she loved her brother she loved the evil um she loved the darkness and on the flip side son loved daughter he loved his sister um and that kind of drove him to a new madness but love is not inherently evil so it comes from a place of the light side, I would say. So anyway, not to get too esoteric with it at this juncture. <laughs> um, now we'll just we're... bottle it up we'll and just... get ready for when we do actually get to explore. The other thing that we should mention also is that in my Balin equals Anakin, Balin <laughs> equals standing on father's statue. Anakin did balance both sides when we were in on Mortis. And it sort of thought about like is was Anakin supposed to assume the role of the father, the balance between the two? And if Anakin did succeed in balancing the force, which he did, Dave Filoni has said this, Anakin is Well, that's what father wanted him to do in in the episode. Right. And he walked away and he didn't do it. But at that point, like he couldn't, right? Because it was the Clone Wars. (laughs) So it's like... Yeah, he also had a full-on memory wipe. Um. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) But... But Morai lives on, okay? And the the it, all of that wasn't just a dream, you know? Yeah. And I think the just the concept of like this series ends with a shot of ghostly Anakin. Oh, and God. it makes me wonder, and I we have to dive into that. Oh my god, we have to dive into that. But uh it makes me wonder if like there is a future of a series that explores the Mortis gods in another way. Like I just talked about them in the way that I know them, but I know that the way that Dave would tell the story in the future would be probably different than my expectations, which I like totally am open to, obviously. Um, And I wonder like, okay, so does this mean 
Hayden Christensen could be like a series regular basically for uh, like will Anakin continue to talk to Ahsoka or like appear in the force or something now that he is able to find her here? Like, I don't know. It's kind of wild to think about all these things because Anakin rarely appeared to Luke in in later years too. So like, is he here? Is he everywhere? I don't know. <laughs> he's like the it's, wind. He's, I mean, he probably is because it's the force, but I feel like uh, it, uh, it brings up a lot of questions, this ending. So let's talk a little bit about the ending. What were your thoughts about seeing Hayden? I was not expecting it at all. I got so Me much neither. more Hayden in this show than I ever expected to get. Same. Every episode, it was, oh my God, it's Hayden Christensen again. <laughs> yes. What a joy. <laughs> it really was. It really was. My honestly though, my first thought was, oh, like, did we did we need a force ghost here? Is this a little too return of the Jedi? You know, um, did we need it? And then when I again talked through my 10-minute voice memo in complete darkness, <laughs> I <laughs> I was like, no, this is like this is the real Anakin. We in our last episode, we talked a lot about if the world between worlds Anakin was actually Anakin Skywalker, if it was a manifestation of the Force, if it was both, what did it mean, et cetera, et cetera. And I think those questions are all still valid. But to me, or or at the time, I thought that it was kind of like a mixture. Now I'm kind of leaning towards it was all kind of Force manifestation, perhaps guided by the real Anakin. But this Force ghost that we see at the end, that is 100% real Anakin. And I think it kind of reminded me a little bit of the end of Obi-Wan Kenobi when uh, we see Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan's like, I've been calling for you <laughs> for years. <laughs> Where have you been? <laughs> and Qui-Gon is like, I've been here the whole time. You just, you didn't realize it yet. No, and you I, couldn't see me. You couldn't see me, yeah. yeah. And I think it's kind of the same thing with Ahsoka and Anakin a little bit. I still don't even know if I think Ahsoka saw Anakin there. I kind of think she didn't. And I, to me, that's kind of more beautiful in that Anakin is just kind of there watching her and he knows what she's been through. And maybe now that Ahsoka finally has reconciled her feelings about Anakin, she can now be open to seeing his force ghost, his actual force ghost now, if that makes any kind of sense. Um, and I just, I love the idea that Anakin has come here, you know, in, in what could be a really difficult thing of being stranded in another galaxy, <laughs> but sees that there is a newfound peace for Ahsoka and he just gets, he gets to smile. And I told Charlotte that night too, after we watched the finale and the next day, I was like, Anakin and Sabine would get along so well. Cause you would ask me what you had asked, you know, do you ever think that Ahsoka and Anakin and Sabine, like Force Ghost Anakin, they would all, you know, like have like a little chit chat <laughs> or something like that. And I just think Anakin and Sabine would get along so well. They'd love to talk mechanic, shop, everything like that. I think Anakin would be obsessed with all of the crazy weaponry that Sabine can make <laughs> and the way that she can blow things up. <laughs> and I think he would say something like, wow, you should have been around in the Clone Wars. Like you could have really helped XYZ. And Sabine would be like, oh yeah, I studied the strategy that you guys did on Geonosis and here's what I think about it. And here's what I would have done. You know, I just, I think they would get along so well. <laughs> I kind of think so too. I'm here for it. Yeah. It's a good little headcanon I have now, but yeah. Anyway, what what did you think of the Force Ghost? 
Oh my god, we, we, you know what I thought about the Force Ghost? Are you freaking <laughs> I don't know why I'm asking. Yeah, like amazing, perfect, it was. brilliant. Uh, I think something that we've commented on about that Hayden Christensen has an amazing performance in this entire series, and it's it seems kind of trivial and simple to say that like this end scene that, though I feel like was so well done because the first shot that you see of him, you know, he's gives like the he is kind of stoic face, and then he gives this little smirk, and it's just so lovely nice. i don't know nice. and i think it, it he performs the same uh duty i think story-wise that i felt when i saw morai um mm-hmm. where i explained that i feel like morai represents the fact that ahsoka is supposed to be on this planet and i think that anakin is kind of saying the same thing like yeah. she found her place she found her person like she's she is exemplifying the best of me in a master to her new apprentice. And I think um, if you want to compare, and I I have many times, and I don't know if people love this comparison, but I, I love it. I think one of the things that I've always loved about the relationship between Anakin and Ahsoka is it's this brief look into how Anakin might have been as a father. Mm-hmm. And I think we've already seen many times as we watch Return of the Jedi, Anakin looks so proudly onto his children as a ghost at the end, right? Especially Luke. Um, And I think you can have the same emotions here as he looks upon Ahsoka. And the only person he basically raised, right? I hate to say this. It's almost like a little bit more meaningful because you understand that history that they have together when Luke and Anakin basically didn't have that much history. And that's, that's the tragedy there in that whole story. And that's like what it serves, right? Is he able to look upon his children through the afterlife and be filled with joy and sit next to his old friends, right? But I think here it's this uh, acknowledgement of the accomplishments that I made as a master, Mm-hmm. and a father figure for Ahsoka. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's good. I liked it. It really hits. Please, <laughs> please, Lucasfilm, feel free to bring Hayden Christensen back in whatever capacity in you would whatever like. you want. And if he's going to say yes, then let's do it, you know? He's so great. He's so great. I, wh- bring him back. Okay. Where, where'd he I go? Like, bring him back. Bring him uh, back. Bring him back. Bring, play back the entire back. message. <laughs> I feel like we should go back a little bit to talk about the decision that Sabine makes um, and like all of the the situation with Sabine and Ezra and the zombies. Like we skipped over a lot, Caitlin. <laughs> we skipped over the we, zombies. Maybe like we should quickly go through some of that bit. Like we got, we got zombies. <laughs> I, I gotta say, I think this whole trek up the tower was a little 50-50 for me overall on the combat. Um, I loved uh, Morgan versus Ahsoka. I loved Sabine and Ezra on the top of the tower, but some of the shots uh, with the zombies, it was a little. It it wasn't the best, <laughs> in I my opinion. I don't Whatever. know. There's like zombies. A, no, there's just there's a couple zombies. times where they're just kind of standing there, like twirling the lightsabers, and but there's on. Zomb- oh yeah, I know what you mean. You okay. know, it just yeah. There I was, was gonna, yeah yeah. But, you know, whatever. Um, I really liked the scene where they are trapped kind of in the stair tower, though. And there's that little cute banter between Sabine and Ezra about her, you know, fighting off the the zombie that has attacked uh, Ezra. And at the end of it, he just says, I missed you. <laughs> it's 
<laughs> so cute. <laughs> and I thought their uh, fight on the top of the tower was really good. And of course, this is the moment when we really see Sabine use the force to pull the lightsaber to her, which we did it. We got there. I honestly was not sure we would. I wasn't sure we mm-hmm. needed to. Then I also wasn't sure if we would. But seeing it now, it was great. And someone pointed this out online that Sabine has gone however many years not being able to, quote unquote, use the force. She does it once, pulls a lightsaber like two feet to her. And suddenly she's like, Ezra, I will force push you across. <laughs> but it's like the power of belief. Okay, I, I know it is. It's just, <laughs> it's just funny. She goes from zero to 60, which also feels very Sabine, honestly. Totally. But also like it it rose the stakes a little bit about like whether it or not did. she was even going to be able to do yeah. that. Well, the fact that Ezra believed that she could because Ezra well, knows it, it took a sec. I, it <laughs> did, but he was like, all right. Okay. <laughs> that also feels very Ezra too. Like, yeah, you've, you've definitely got this. <laughs> it's not like I've been training for 15 years or anything, <laughs> but you've got this. <laughs> And of course, we see Ezra immediately, you know, after after Sabine goes back, he, you know, gets into a disguise. And that is so classic. Classic Ezra. Ezra. That was so classic Ezra. They could have just not done that at all. And then we would have seen like that that scene couldn't didn't have to exist, but it did, and it made the fact that that's just classic Ezra like so much better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it really was. I did have a, a thought about this to kind of jump ahead again of Ezra's return to Hera. Um, so he's in the the trooper uniform, right? And so as I mentioned, I've been rewatching season four. And when Ezra goes into the world between worlds, he's in a stormtrooper disguise as well. And I thought there was something kind of meta about the fact that he exits the world between worlds after he's had this incredible experience in Rebels in a trooper uniform and him literally coming back from another world of Peridia, another galaxy, back to, you know, like the ghost and where Hera is, also mm-hmm. in a trooper uniform. I don't know. There's kind of like this fun little symmetry there that mm-hmm. I thought was kind of a nice, a nice touch. Cause at first I was like, does he ha-? like he couldn't have changed in the escape path? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I liked it ultimately. I think Sabine making this selfless choice to bring Ezra home really I don't know, underscores the fact that her mission may be started as selfish of, I want to find Ezra. I want to, I want to be with him. I want to see him. I want to make sure he is alive. And I think it was very clear from the moment that Sabine saw Ezra, that Ezra wanted to get home. He kept mentioning it. Like, I'm ready to go home. Like, I think I'm going to go home, you know? And I think Sabine could have very well, been like, well, I don't know if it's even possible. Like, I'm here. Like, maybe that's enough, right? You're not alone anymore and any, everything like that. But instead, we get a you're not alone situation with Sabine and Ahsoka reinforcing the fact that that dynamic is actually what the show is fully about, the dynamic between Sabine and Ahsoka and the fact that this notion that pushing Ezra into the ship to go back to the known galaxy, that hopefully he will re- be reunited with Hera and not be alone anymore. So no one is a, is alone in these situations. Um, yeah, and not to interrupt, but it becomes a selfless no, thing for Sabine. 
Totally. Um, what what you said, you know, it started out as selfish for her to just get yeah. to Ezra. Um, and then it became selfless as she l- lets helps Ezra actually get home, even at the expense of herself. Yeah. And I think there it may, it just make, makes sense for Sabine to make this decision to stand by Ahsoka. I mean, her, her family, her parents are like, her parents are dead, her brother's dead, right? I feel like she has gone through a lot and she makes this selfless decision to push Ezra to going home, which was, I don't know, what we wanted. Um, as much as it's devastating that they're not going to be together, we get this reunion between Hera and Ezra at the end, which was lovely, except they wiped before they freaking hugged. <laughs> I, we're going to ask Dave about that too, because I, I've seen people talk about how like they probably didn't film at the same time. I just, that's not which acceptable. Is, I, I'm I, I agree. <laughs> it's not acceptable, not. but I will bring up the fact that I don't think Hera has ever hugged any of her children. That's what or, people like, were talking crew. about, but I just, what, it's a but mis- like, mistake. It's a mistake for the, <laughs> them to not hug here because if they haven't hugged before, then like why not here during this like emotional exactly. reunion? I do think Mary Elizabeth Winstead's acting was like on point though at yeah. this ending. It was yeah, I, I, so. I really e- if Ezra wasn't actually there, <laughs> I if the acting was even more on point, honestly. Um yeah. So that was kind of weird. I really don't know what to think about that, but I, and it's also like weird that Sabine didn't mention Jason. So I thought that there was going to be a Jason thing. Oh my God, Caitlin, you got to tell everyone what you, your theory was. This is what, this is my new headcanon. I, when I write Star Wars, I will rewrite this scene for all of you and I will make them refilm it for me <laughs> because Just this, for is, you. <laughs> this is what I think should have happened in this reunion between Ezra and Hera. Yes, they should have hugged. That's a given. But I was so ready for Jason. This All right. So this is how the scene should have gone. Ezra gets off. He's in the Stormtrooper uniform, whatever trooper it is. Hera's like there. They've all got their blasters drawn, whatever. Chopper kind of rolls up. He's like a little curious. But then behind Chopper, out pops Jason. And Jason starts to walk slowly towards Ezra. And Hera's like, Jason, stop, you know, like stand back. And Jason's like, it's fine. And then he turns around and he smiles and goes, it's Ezra. And he's the one that knows that it's Ezra. And then Ezra takes off the helmet and Hera's like, oh my God, it's Ezra. And Ezra's like, Hera. But then he's he's like, who is that? Um, But that could have come later. I just think it would have been because we had that adorable scene with Jason. Number one, I miss Jason. I'm sad he wasn't in these last episodes because I Where love is Jason? that kid. <laughs> Where is Jason? Where is Jason? <laughs> I love him so much. But, you know, Jason has commented a number of times about, like, those those stories about Uncle Ezra. Like, he clearly has a lot of affection for Ezra and what he knows about him. And that Jason also has the force, right? That fantastic scene where he hears the lightsabers and the waves and everything like that. So for him to have been able to automatically sense that that was Ezra, I think just would have been so beautiful of a moment. And I am quite upset that we didn't get it. I, I, You guys know I'm a huge Chopper fan, so I'm not, not glad that it was Chopper. 
But I think... No, that was great. It, it was, was great that it was Chopper. I just but... think Jason would have been more emotional, honestly, especially given like some of the Kanan name drops that we've had. Um, and the fact that it would have been Kanan's son that recognizes Ezra there. I don't know. It, it would have been beautiful. I They better bring Jason back. <laughs> Well, do we? Uh, this is me again being like, is Jason in Skeleton Crew? Maybe that's so. where Jason is. Well, yeah, I hope so, and I hope he's he's okay. <laughs> me too. Um, I also hope that Ezra trains Jason. He's got to. He he has to. I think. I think that if Ezra, like Ezra, stays in this galaxy, stays with Hera, there's word about Luke's temple or whatever is going on there. I think Ezra would want to take responsibility for Jason himself. Like I don't. I think if Hera was like, should we send Jason to Luke's temple? Ezra would be like, nah, he's my Padawan. Like, I got to do this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I just, Jason was so great. And I would have loved to have seen him in this finale. And in that moment, I think it would have been great, especially because we know that Sabine has not told him about Jason. Mm-hmm. That's that's the crux of it, is I really thought there was going to be some payoff. But maybe it's later. I'm willing to be patient. Okay. I'm not but, right now on that, so. Yeah, I mean, I think your idea is much better. So. Thank you. <laughs> I'm here for it. <laughs> anyway. <sighs> okay, uh, I feel like we talked about a lot of stuff. Yeah, I think so too. All right, what did we think about the season overall? Highlights, lowlights, final parting shots? It's, I'm like in a bliss right mm-hmm. now. So I do feel like it's hard for me to pinpoint the lowlights. The highlights were really high and I just had a lot of fun with this series and especially like the middle parts and um, the transformation of Ahsoka, this planet. I just, um, I really loved it. I think if I could pinpoint some lowlights, it might be the military stuff or like not fully understanding Thrawn's motivation and needing, and the stuff that we've already talked about, needing two more episodes. Something we haven't fully talked about is that Balin's story, it does in the last uh, episode of this finale, feel like things were cut out. And I just, as a human being I am being (laughs) very uh, generous I guess with the fact that there's a lot of um, I just feel like we have to be okay with the fact that things are probably shifting around for that character to give him a solid ending I wonder if they'll recast Balin I don't know but I do feel like that last shot of him was really fantastic especially if this is his last work Um, I think some people have talked about these like literally standing in the hand of a god and I think that's like, I think that's lovely. Um, and I I assume that Shin, if there's a season two, that Shin might take on some of the character attributes and like quests that Balin is going on. And maybe perhaps they cut some things out of these last two episodes that would have changed that direction a little bit. And because of that, I feel like I am walking away from the series not fully understanding what Balin is after, even though I did go on a tirade about how excited I am about what he was standing atop and like what this all means and everything. I just feel like I'm just forgiving of that because I feel like it's just a terrible situation. And I think like we as viewers should probably be forgiving of that as well. But I do feel like I am a little lost about that part. And 
I just wonder if there were some things that happened on the ed- editing room floor due to the unfortunate passing of him. Yeah, I agree. I think that was definitely something I'm kind of left with the most questions about, um, just about their relationship in general. It just feels like I really don't know that much more about them, about Shin especially, uh, and their their relationship together as a master and apprentice. So I, I think that there could have been room for them to explore that more earlier in the season. I definitely think some things were shifted around as we got to the back half that they're probably still trying to figure out, you know, uh, un- unfortunately. So I can have, I, I, I do have a lot of sympathy there, obviously, um, but I hope it's something that they're able to rectify in the future, uh, whether that's through recasting or just the story, how it shakes out. I don't know. But I, yeah, I I agree with you on that. I will say too, I think that they probably could have explored the rift between Ahsoka and Sabine a lot better. I, I'm really glad we finally got the explanation of what happened on Mandalore, but that was first teased in what, episode three, episode four, something like that. Um, And I think we could have... I think we could should have known about that a lot sooner. I think it would have put a lot of things in perspective. And, you know, like I said, they spent a lot of the season apart, actually, when this show is kind of supposed to be about the two of them. And it was ultimately, but I thought it would be more about the two of them together (laughs) when they spent about half the season apart. And we didn't fully get an explanation on why they split apart until, you know, kind of the ninth hour, quite literally. So I think that's something that probably could have been um, hammered out or paced a little differently that I think would have changed a little bit of our perception of these characters as the season had gone on. But I'm really happy with where we ended. And yeah, I hope that by the time you all are actually listening to this, there's an announcement of what is coming next. <laughs> we need it. We need it. What was your favorite episode? Oh, I don't know. It's five and six. It's five and six. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that I think that the characterization in this show of our, you know, our Rebels and Clone Wars characters into live action was done so perfectly. Um, I think Hera, Sabine, and Ezra, you know, from live action Rebels um, were were perfect. I thought they did a great job. And we talked about this a lot at the beginning of the season, but I was really worried about Hera. She was probably the one I had, I don't know, the most question marks about, about how I would feel about the performance, but I thought it was fantastic. I think um, Eamon did Ezra so well. I kind of can't get over it. And Natasha as Sabine, I think is perfect too. I think they all really, truly nailed it. And I I bought all of their relationships immediately. Yeah. Oh my God. Totally. I, I really feel the same way. The other thing that we just have not spent enough time about talking, and I know, I think this will probably be our last thing that we're talking about is the Kiner score was unbelievable. I know that we talked that it talked about that it rivaled the Mandalorian, but one thing that we didn't talk about is the end credit score here for the finale was like fully different and like so special and just having these this like grown up Ahsoka theme is just so good. And there's been like some piano that was really played in 
this season and uh, like in, in this episode and the finale, it was just amazing. And I cannot wait to listen to it all, all the time. Just incredible. Yeah. The Kiners are really active on social media. Um, it's Kevin Kiner and his two children, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Um, and they're all fantastic. They post a lot on Twitter X, uh, and they've done some, uh, they've done like some little videos of them playing some of the score live. So definitely encourage you to go check out their profile, uh, because they are really excited about the show Yeah, <laughs> and have done a wonderful job at it. So it's been great to kind of, uh, hear a lot from them, honestly, especially in this time period where, you know, we can't hear from the actors and writers. Uh, so it's been a great spotlight on on the Kiners, honestly, and the fantastic work they did on this show because it really totally. is outstanding. And I bet they get nominated for something for it because it's beautiful, all of it. I hope so. I, th- I think it was just like a fantastic decision by Dave to bring the Kiners on for his live action show. Mm-hmm. Just Obviously, it makes sense, and but I think it was still a question mark whether or not this would happen, and they killed it. They yeah. killed it. Well, I remember Just hearing unreal. Ludwig's version of Ahsoka's theme in like the Mandalorian world, and thinking that that was like the best thing ever. I thought it was so yeah, cool. It's top to, tier. Yeah, it really was. But it doesn't compare to having just a full suite <laughs> of Ahsoka <Totally>. music <laughs> in yeah. the Ahsoka show and the the Rebels themes as well. It just they go together so perfectly, and I yeah just can't speak highly enough of it. Totally. Yeah. Um, I can't wait to watch this all as uh, like in continuation. Mm -hmm. And I am hoping to do that soon. I think it'll be really enlightening and great. I agree. I can't wait to. All right. Well, is there anything else you want to add about these two episodes or the show in general? (sighs) Just Godspeed, Ahsoka. Ahsoka, What a great show. Ahsoka lives! Exclamation point. So true. That's that's what we need to end on. That's it. That's the episode. (laughs) Ahsoka lives exclamation point. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, I hope you have enjoyed our discussions of Ahsoka. I, I know you've got a lot to listen to. So post strike. So if you've made it here to the end of, you know, part seven and eight to the sign off, or perhaps you're starting here. And if you're starting here, welcome starting here. Yeah, Yeah. you could be starting here. Uh, what, what kind of, what kind of order are you listening to? This brings us back to the beginning of the discussion with orders of things coming out and how to listen to them. Anyway, please let us know what you thought of Ahsoka. What were your favorite episodes? What are you looking forward to the next time we see these characters? We would love to know. You can find us on Twitter slash X at SkytalkersPod or our personal handles. Charlotte's is at Crarity and mine is at Caitlin Plusher. We also have Instagram, Threads, TikTok, our website, skytalkers.com, our email. Those are all great places you can find us. And if you're able to, please go and rate and review us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find our show. And if you want to show that you're listening in real time, take a screenshot of you listening, share it on your social media platform of choice, 
tag us and we will reshare, retweet, repost uh, wherever you can find us. And we would love to see you watching, uh, listening in real time. And lastly, if you are interested in other ways to support us uh, and how to get involved in our fabulous Discord community that was very active talking about the Ahsoka show every single week, you can head on over to our Patreon and check out our different reward tiers there. Yeah, our Patreon Discord is the place to be whenever a new show drops. The mm -hmm. conversation is immediate. It's very insightful. It is just a lovely place. It's my favorite place on the internet. It's very so fun. I want to I also, sorry, I just also have to say that the fact that this show came out at 9 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday nights rather than 3 a.m. Wednesday. What a joy. Was, it was such a joy and made our Discord a lot more fun too because <laughs> I remember there was always this kind of like battle between the East and West Coast when it was coming out at 3 a.m. Totally. All the West Coast uh, listeners would stay up and then all the East Coast listeners would have to – like we couldn't log on to Discord until – you know, the next morning or even later that afternoon <laughs> after work or something. So funny. Anyway, it, it felt like watching it in real time in the Discord, which was very fun. Yeah, it was like the best decision Disney Plus ever did, honestly. Mm -hmm. I hope it stays. Oh, my God. I want to thank these wonderful patrons. Eunice, Hunter, Josh, Tegan, BJ, Brad, Ian, John, Lakshana, Matt, Molly, Sarah, Tom, Jackson, Raphael, Kimberly, Catherine, Courtney, Megan, Sophie, Emma, Adam, Lady Valkyrie, Blessed Cheesemaker, The Morning's Hush, Neil, and Savannah. Thank you so much for supporting us. Yes, thank you guys so much. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. Mm -hmm.